before so much paralyzing terror. The sadistic leader of the bloody brood, whose only philosophy is anything goes. What's up, weirdos? And welcome to the Weirdoverse. I'm your host, J.D. Ross, the bard of all that is strange, and you are listening to Weird Wide. Now, are you feeling lucky today? Maybe Lady Luck is watching over you? Maybe you're just the perfect sequence of numbers away from living the life that you've only ever dreamed of. Or is Lady Luck a cold and calculating bitch who wants to raise you up just so that she can slam you down to the pavement even harder? Today, your fortune is strong as we're diving into the lottery. How did it start? How is the mafia involved? What is the curse of the lottery? Take a walk on the weird side with me today as we find out. So I'd always kind of assumed that the lottery was a relatively modern creation. It turns out I could not have been more wrong. Different versions of it have existed uh, for literally millennia. Uh, one of the earliest was a form of Kino in the Han Dynasty era of China. If it wasn't for Vegas Vacation, I'm not sure if I would even know what the hell Kino is. Uh, remember the scene at the end where the Griswolds lost everything, including Clark's, uh, what, $52,000 in savings? How the fuck did Ellen stay married to that jagoff? But then they make the unequivocally stupid choice to play their last quarter at Kino. And even though they lose, they were nice to the old guy, so... They felt all right snatching his card from his literal cold, dead hands uh, after his heart attack. Uh, weren't even cold yet, actually. He was still very much warm. That's Kino. So basically with Kino, there's a board with generally 1 to 80 numbers. And then you bet what numbers will land. In ancient China, uh, we're talking like the 200s BC. There's evidence that far back of a version of Kino uh, called Baije. I'm probably fucking this name all up. Baije Payo or the White Pigeon Ticket. Those played just like Kino. Players would uh, pick a series of characters or symbols, uh, and then they would win a fabulous prize if their picks came up. I was a little disappointed. I couldn't find any info on what kind of prizes were actually given. I assume monetary or food-based, but who knows? I can't be sure. What is known, or at the very least is theorized, is the prize that it gave to the country itself. While not entirely agreed upon by historians, Kino is theorized to have contributed to raising funds for building the Great Wall of China. Different forms of the lottery uh, spread uh, beyond Asia over the centuries. Rome actually had several forms of it. Uh, so the first uh, was more like kind of an early Christmas gift exchange kind of deal. The Saturnalia Festival was a national Roman holiday honoring the god Saturn in December. During the festivities, gambling was permitted, and slaves were actually given table service by their masters. So they would get this tiny yearly reprieve uh, and would actually be treated like people for a few days. Isn't that nice? At dinner parties, each guest would get a ticket and prizes would be given out, and everyone would get something. So it's kind of like a fun Roman gift-giving event. Uh, Rome's first emperor, Augustus, also known as Octavian, is believed to have instituted a state-run state lottery with tickets sold to the public to raise funds for public works projects. Uh, this model uh, by the Chinese and the Romans would be followed for several countries over the millennia. 
even to this day. In 2020, in the U.S., there was roughly $27 billion collected by state and local governments. Now, not all lottery was good in the Roman era. Uh, So there was definitely a lottery back then that you did not want to win. Uh, It was a form of military punishment known as decimation. And it would be inflicted upon uh, legionnaire units for various offenses. Things like cowardice, insubordination, desertion. It was even used against uh, defeated rebel factions in Roman territories. So if found guilty, the military commanders would hold a lottery and select one man out of every 10 randomly where they would pick with the straws. Uh, Those selected would be immediately sentenced to death, usually by bludgeoning and done by their fellow soldiers. Legitimately some like ye old Hunger Games shit. According to Roman chronicler Polybius, the goal was to instill fear in the troops who were uh, lucky enough to to make it through and set an example to correct the behavior in the future. He's quoted as saying, The danger and dread of drawing the fatal lot affects all equally, as it is uncertain of whom it will fall. The best possible means are thus taken to inspire fear for the future and to correct the mischief which has occurred. Pretty fucking gnarly. This method of punishment is not common, but it has been used in some form or another as recently as the 20th century. Honestly, probably the 21st as well. Now, throughout the centuries in Europe, there have been several state-operated lotteries, usually, like I said, to fund public works projects and such. In Renaissance-era Italy, uh, notable lotteries were held in Venice, Rome, and Florence. Uh, You can kind of tell by the prizes this was definitely more uh, for the upper levels of society. Prizes would include things like carpets, jewels, real estate, government contracts, and even servants. That is such a mindfuck to me. Can you imagine winning a lottery ticket and your prize is some dude? In Genoa, around the same time, uh, public officials were actually chosen through a lottery system. Uh, so five candidates would be chosen from a pool of 90 to see who would be picked as like, you know, a public, le- a public, public servant, public leader. Kind of like this better. Uh, they were legit like, fuck the will of the people. This shit is in fate's hands now. People placed their bets on who would win. And uh, that became so popular. It was eventually taken over by the state. England, France and Germany all held their own form of it and all were massively popular. Spain's version of the lottery, El Gordo, or the fat one, has been a Christmas time tradition since 1812, when it was originally established to help uh, when fundage was being drained by the Peninsular War. Young orphan boys would be used to uh, draw winning tickets from gold pots, and even to this day, that tradition survives as students from a former boys' home, the San Ildefonso School, uh, are the ones to draw the winners. And yes, I'm absolutely positive I said that wrong. I know Spain has a lisp thing going on in their language because King had a lisp or some shit like that. I I don't fucking know the rules for it. I don't speak Spain Spanish. I don't really speak regular Spanish, like, you know, here Spanish. So, uh, you know, my bad. The jackpot at the time was the world's largest in 2015 uh, at 2.5 billion, which is then distributed to thousands. This tradition goes off without a hitch every December, uh, even during the Spanish Civil War. Uh, that was like the one thing they could agree on, and both sides h- held their own version of it. Pretty fucking sweet. Even in America, George Washington and Ben Franklin held their own forms of lottery. Uh, and in New Orleans, the Louisiana State Lottery Company was an extremely powerful and profitable enterprise. Uh, privately owned company, they ran a countrywide system of mail order lotto tickets, and it was nicknamed the Octopus due to how far it reached. 
Uh, not surprisingly, the octopus was infamous for shady business dealings and political corruption. Uh, it was shut down in the 1890s uh, due to laws passed that banned the sale of lottery tickets across state lines uh, and had long reaching effects on the state of Louisiana that kept them from having a legal lottery system until 1991. Now, let's get into the modern lotto system a little bit. One of the things I always found interesting regarding the lottery uh, is that there are these state and federal sponsored programs, yet privately run lotteries have a very shaky uh, history, legally speaking. One very common mafia operated racket, along with other forms of gambling, is the numbers racket also known as policy banks, uh, numbers games, or the Italian lottery. These were and probably still are in operation in just about every major city in America. The way the numbers game was run is a bookie would take bets at bars, taverns, barbershops, and other mob hangouts. And runners, usually uh, young associates who were looking to align themselves with the mob, would carry the money and betting slips from various betting locations around the city to the main HQ, which was called the numbers bank. Several key figures in the mafia over the years have been associated with numbers games, uh, and there have been associations with the African-American communities uh, being very heavily involved as well, as numbers games are often run in low-income working-class neighborhoods throughout the cities throughout the early part of the 20th century. Well-known Chicago Outfit member Sam Giancana, uh, who was the don of the Chicago Outfit from 1957 to 1966, is actually credited with bringing the racket into prominence with his bosses through his contacts in the black community among Chicago. So before the mob got involved, uh, there was a Chicago street entrepreneur named Eddie Jones. Him and his family were earning uh, over 180K a week through these operations. Uh, I looked it up and the purchasing power uh, of that was about 3.5 million in today's money. Uh, so that's almost 200 million a year worth of, worth of uh, income. That is a serious golden goose. Now, because criminal activity tends to land one in jail, Jones and Giancana became acquainted uh, and maintained a friendship after they were both back on the street. Giancana at the time was a hitman for hire for the outfit and was looking for ways to raise his financial and social standings amongst the criminal community. Seeing the massive opportunity, Giancana had Jones teach him everything he knew about the numbers game. Giancana's superiors at the time were very impressed by this new opportunity that Giancana was pursuing, uh, and soon Sam Standing rose dramatically. He was put in charge of gambling, illegal liquor distribution, and other rackets for the mob, and he made a fucking fortune. Now, unfortunately for Eddie Jones, the outfit wasn't content with leaving the black neighborhood markets in Jones' control, and they soon set their sights on taking it over. The world of organized crime is as cutthroat as any business comes, and in May 1946, Jones was actually kidnapped by outfit soldiers and held hostage. He was eventually released to his brothers, Mac and George, who were involved in the numbers racket with him. The Chicago outfit charged a ransom of $100,000 for Jones' release. On top of that, Sam Giancana personally convinced Jones that it was time to retire and hand control of his business over to him and the outfit. Eddie Jones was no moron. Knowing that his choices were either to give in to the outfit's demands or try to fight, he opted to hand over the business to Giancana. Jones knew that he could never win a war with the outfit, and rather than being killed by his former friend, he decided to retire to Mexico where he lived out the rest of his days. And while that may be a little bit of a bummer of a story, it is kind of interesting to see such a human element. Sam Giancana was a stone-cold murderer, and he also knew that he couldn't let his friendship with Jones jeopardize his aspirations. But instead of straight up whacking him like he could have very easily done, 
he gave Jones the opportunity to live life peacefully, which is a luxury that very few who have chosen that world get the chance to do. Other well-known figures throughout the uh, country and various cities would be involved in their own number schemes. Whitey Bolger in Boston, uh, John Roxborough in Detroit, uh, who was a legendary, uh, who was legendary boxer, Joe Lewis's manager, uh, even Don King in Cleveland, probably uh, one of the most recognizable names in boxing. I wouldn't even really consider myself a casual fan of boxing. I know Mike Tyson. Uh, I know he bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. Uh, aside from Muhammad Ali and Joe Lewis, I'm not sure I could name five other boxers. But Don King's reputation absolutely precedes him. Everyone knows who Don King is. He's that motherfucker with the giant hair, you know, the, the really spiky Wayne static looking hair. Also very well known for fixing fights. So it's not really surprising that he was involved in numbers racket. But the city where it was most prominent amongst organized crime was New York. Several future bosses made their way into higher standing through policy banks. So before Lucky Luciano and Meyer Lansky orchestrated the deaths of the two major dons at the time, Joe Masseria and Salvatore Maranzano, to form the commission, numbers were operated in Little Italy, Manhattan, and Italian Harlem by the Morello family, a crime family that would eventually become the Genovese family. Vito Genovese was very heavily involved, as was Joe Bonanno, future Don of the Bonanno family. Uh, fun fact, both, both those families were actually used as inspiration for the Corleone family and the Godfather. There's actually a scene in the first Godfather uh, where the family's eating dinner, and Sonny specifically mentions that the war is affecting the family's control over the city's policy banks. Very quick, if you're not paying attention, you will miss it. Other less successful uh, mob figures, such as Dutch Schultz, also made uh, their fortunes through the, through numbers. Uh, at some point, I'd really like to do a full episode on Dutch. Uh, there is a legend that he left some buried treasure behind before he was assassinated by the commission. Now, possibly in an effort to combat forms of organized criminal activity, or possibly just because, like the mafia, the U.S. government saw the earnings potential, or maybe a combination of both, the lottery became legal in the U.S. in 1934. The very first state-run lotto was established in Puerto Rico and slowly over the years began making its way throughout the states. Today, the lottery operates legally in 45 U.S. states, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. The most recent state to roll out a lottery commission is Mississippi in 2018. Now, I've always lived in states where lottery was legal, so I, didn't, I wasn't actually aware of the fact that some states don't participate in any form of state-sponsored uh, lottery. I uh, didn't know that until I started researching the episode. Utah and Alabama both have no lottery, both citing religious objections. Utah makes sense as it has a very high Mormon population, uh, and Alabama has it in their state constitution that they will not allow any form of gambling. Uh, Alabama does have dog tracks, however, so they do allow some gambling. Uh, in recent years, Alabama has considered new laws that would allow for the, uh, the establishment of state lottery, uh, and pro proponents say that the revenue of the lottery could be uh, put towards educational scholarships. Not trying to shit on Alabama here, but uh, maybe they should put a lottery in place uh, if only to be able to put it towards education like they want. Historically speaking, Alabama has ranked in the bottom tier of educational rankings amongst the 50 states, at times coming in dead last. Uh, this is why you never, this is why you should never have laws based on religion. Clearly does not encourage intelligence. Uh, but that's a different topic for a different episode. Now, the state that surprised me the most was Nevada. Uh, one would think that the state most associated with gambling would definitely have some form of lottery system. Uh, but Nevada's gaming industry has often lobbied against the state lottery under the grounds that it would be 
competition for the extremely lucrative gambling industry that's already in place. Very interesting take and uh, more proof that money talks bullshit walks. And finally, Alaska and Hawaii, both uh, because they're not part of the contiguous U.S. Uh, in 2020, though, Alaska Governor Mike Dunleavy introduced legislation to establish a lottery in Alaska to combat budget deficits. Uh, never truly realized how much revenue was actually generated from the government or for the government through these programs. In 2009, over $17 billion was generated for states through lottery programs, with 11 states generating more from their lotteries than through that year's corporate income tax. If that doesn't piss you off, I don't know what will. Now, one of the reasons that the lottery is so popular is because it inspires in everyone who plays it a very emotional response. I felt it. Everyone who's played it has felt it. It's this feeling of, I have the same chance as anyone else. And every time the Powerball or Mega Millions gets to a certain level, uh, which I feel like we see more often, my wife and I both had this thought of, hmm, maybe we should play. You know, we'll throw a couple bucks away and spend a few days uh, before the numbers are called just dreaming of what we could do with the money. Oh, the places we could travel to, the things we could do. We could do something special for my family who's helped us out so much over the years. Um, but it's all very emotional. There is no real logic in it. The odds are astronomical, uh, kind of difficult to even pin down. When looking at sources, they're kind of all over the place. Some sources say one in 13 million. Some say one in 42 million. Uh, some have even said one in 176 million. And the fact is, is not everyone is as controlled in their playing as that. Lottery addiction is very real. Uh, and some people play extremely convulsively uh, and they piss away a lot of money on it. Lottery addicts generally show many of the other classic signs of gambling addiction, compulsive consumption in the forms of browsing and heavy buying, as well as sensation seeking and risk taking behavior. But let's suspend reality for just a bit. Let's put logic aside. Let's paint a picture. Let's say that Lady Luck is not only on your side, but she wants to straight up be your main squeeze. Lady Luck wants to hold you tight and make sweet, dirty love to you all night long. Let's say you've got your ticket and you're watching those numbers get called. First number matches. Pang of excitement hits you. Still early. You know deep down, the next one probably won't. But then it does. You hold your breath. Then the next one is called. It matches. You stand up, ticket in hand. You're starting to sweat with anticipation and you watch as every number called matches your ticket. And for a minute, you don't believe it. You stand there with your jaw on the floor when suddenly a rush of adrenaline courses through your veins like a waterfall and you start jumping for joy, dancing, running around your house. Maybe you call some of your friends. Uh, perhaps you make even, uh, even really crazy impulsive decisions uh, and you call your boss and tell them how you really feel. Fuck your job, right? You just became rich beyond your wildest dreams. Well, stop. The whole idea makes me think of that Reno 911 episode where the lottery numbers were printed the exact same on every ticket. Uh, so everyone thinks they want, everyone thinks they want it one by one. They come in and uh, come in with a smug fuck you attitude and dangle just slowly shows each one. And they didn't actually win. <laughs> Classic. Now you may think that all your troubles are over. No more problems for you. It's just the good life from here on out. That car you've always wanted. It's yours. That restaurant that you've always wanted to try, never afford, that's your new daily haunt. 
that weird specific over the top thing you've always said man if i just had the money i'm getting that it's fucking yours but history has taught us that unfortunately it isn't always champagne and roses when you become the big winner uh the fact is most people have no idea how to handle money especially a massive influx all at once and the people we thought we knew all of a sudden show a very different side of themselves Let's look at a few real life examples of people who went through that exact experience only to find out that Lady Luck is not always a faithful gal pal. 2015, Marie Holmes. Uh, she was working at a Walmart and McDonald's uh, at the same time to take care of her four kids. Then she hit the big win and suddenly she found herself with hundreds of millions of dollars. She won a jackpot of $564 million. Now, Marie was the poster child for the lottery. A hardworking mother working two jobs just to put food on the table for her family. Fucking beautiful. Now, the first thing you have to do uh, when you win big is choose between a lump sum or installment payments. Marie chose lump sum, which seems like the better of the choice at the time, but you should definitely take installments. Uh, at least that's what I've always heard. I'm not a financial expert, though, uh, so I don't know. Uh, I feel like I would pick installments only because I, I feel like that sets me up for... Uh, a little bit of discipline that I probably would not have. Now, the issue for Marie was there were reportedly two other winners. So her winnings are immediately cut down to $127 million. Still not bad. I could party with that. Now, Marie pledged to donate to her church and upgrade her living situation. Cool. Obvious choices there. Good person who wants to give back, wants to move on up a little bit. Now, no one can really say what they would do if suddenly that many commas got added to their bank account. And Marie probably spent a little bit more than she should have. I don't even judge her for that. Marie isn't the villain of this tale. Enter Pastor Kevin Matthews. Now, I'm not a fan of religious institutions for many reasons. And there are many a man of the church who are not what they say to be. And Kevin Matthews uh, can 100% fuck himself and die. I would not piss on this guy if he was on fire. Matthews, who wasn't actually even affiliated with Marie's church, claimed that God sent him a message to visit Marie. Yeah, more like you saw her in the news, you piece of shit. He asked her for $1.5 million to build a church retreat. This motherfucker sued Marie when she didn't give him the money. If I ever win any amount of money, uh, let me just put it on record now. I am not going to be giving the church a red cent, not a goddamn dime. So let that be on record. No one's suing me for that shit. Now let's meet James Hayes. He was an overnight security guard. Uh, he didn't win as much as Marie. He won $19 million in uh, 1998 in California. Lawsuits are very common in these situations, and his ex-wife almost immediately sued him for half of his winnings, and she won. And then, probably from the unforeseen stress, he developed a really nasty heroin, ha heroin ha habit uh, that was costing him uh, about $1,000 a week. Uh, as the money began to dry up, James was reluctant to give up his new lavish lifestyle, uh, desperate to maintain it, James turned to a life of crime and began robbing banks to support his expenditures. In 2018, he pleaded guilty to bank robbery and was sentenced to 33 months. He saw the top of the mountain and came crashing down to the summit below. Jay Somers was only 20 years old when he was one of the five winners of a $28.9 million jackpot in Michigan. Now, what happens when you give a kid who isn't old enough to buy beer a three-comma paycheck? He makes stupid fucking choices. 
a car enthusiast, Summer spent his first installment, about 290K, on five luxury cars. Great investment. On top of that, his friend offered to help him manage his money for him. But what kind of friends do 20-year-olds often have? Other dumbass 20-year-olds. His friend managed to piss away all of his money on shady business deals, and in the end, Jay had to deliver pizza to make ends meet. Now let's meet William Bud Post III of Pennsylvania. In 1988, he won $16.2 million. Bud was a great example of what not to do with lottery winnings. Uh, instead of investing wisely, Bud almost immediately went ham, uh, making massive purchases like uh, a mansion and a plane, even though he didn't have a pilot's license. We all watch Cribs back in the day, and we've all fantasized about how bitching it would be to own a mansion. But unless you've got large sums of money regularly coming in, a mansion is probably a terrible investment. Now, he did attempt to put the money to good use, funding businesses with his siblings, a restaurant, and a used car dealership. Only one year later, one of his estranged brothers, wanting to try to cash in on Bud's newfound wealth, literally hired a hitman to try to murder Bud and his sixth wife. Also, if you're on to wife number six, maybe the problem is you. Common denominator, stop marrying people. They did both survive. But his troubles did not end there. His former girlfriend and landlady sued him for a portion of his winnings, and she won. Uh, when he didn't pay, his assets were frozen and eventually found himself a million dollars in debt. At one point, he tried to shoot a repo guy who'd come to collect. Uh, he ended up living, on, uh, living off of disability payments until he died. Now let's meet Alex and Rhoda Toth. Winning a $13 million jackpot, they elected to take their winnings in installments. The annual amount uh, was the most metal lottery payout ever at $666,666 a year. Pretty fucking cool. Unfortunately, the Toths made the mistake of never hiring an accountant. Like I mentioned earlier, many that play the lottery uh, are in low-income areas and are generally not great with money to begin with. This was the case for the Toths. Alex had six kids from a previous relationship to support, and I read that they were stretching about $25 for the, uh, for the next week when they hit it big. Now, coming into a large sum of money very quickly when you previously had none can make you do some pretty over-the-top shit. They stayed in Vegas for three months, the hotel alone costing $1,000 a day. Uh, Alex very much enjoyed gambling. But the cardinal rule of Vegas is keep the players playing, and the house always wins. Alex managed to squander away a vast sums of money at the casinos. They probably fucking loved him. The Toths were forced to file bankruptcy twice in the coming years uh, and, were invest and were eventually investigated by the IRS for tax fraud. They pled guilty and were awaiting sen sentencing when Alex died suddenly and Rhoda had to go to prison for two years. By that time, the jackpot winnings had been completely pissed away. Now, here's a twisted hand of cards dealt for Denise Rossi. She won $1.3 million in 1996, uh, but didn't tell her husband of 25 years, Thomas. Denise had secretly been miserable for the majority of the time with Thomas, and she thought that she could just scooch on out with her winnings in hand. But divorces can be brutal, uh, even without a massive lottery payout thrown into the mix. Turns out that by not telling Thomas about her winning ticket, she violated the state's asset disclosure laws, and the entirety of the winnings were awarded to Thomas. Uh, so she basically ended up having to pay $1.3 million to not be married to this guy. That sucks. Then there was Carl Atwood. 
In 2004, he won a prize of $57,000 from a local TV lottery game show. Uh, he was on his way to collect his prize uh, about two hours later, and he was hit by a fucking truck on the way. He died a few hours later. Poor Carl, man. I mean, for him, it had to have been like rain on his wedding day or maybe a free ride after he'd already paid. Maybe seeing a no smoking sign on a cigarette break or even some good advice that he just didn't take. I bet in the instant before he was hit by a truck, a feeling came over him that can only be felt when you have 10,000 spoons and all you need is a knife. To me, it just feels ironic. Don't you think? You're going to be singing that all day now. There are other crazy stories, of course, but these were just some that were handpicked. Uh, so maybe winning that big payout isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe money isn't the answer to all your problems. Or maybe you can take the hard lessons that these poor souls learn the hard way and do it different. Maybe you are smarter than the rest. Maybe you'll invest it wisely and not piss it away on stupid shit. Maybe. But to even have a chance, you got to buy the ticket. You want to get paid? First, you have to play. And then you find out firsthand exactly what Lady Luck thinks about you. Thanks for getting weird with me. I'd like to hear from you. Maybe you got some wild stories of your own or someone you know. Maybe you have some ideas for what you'd spend the winnings on. Dream it and let me know. Give me your wildest dreams. Email me at weirdwidepodcast at gmail.com or hit me up on TikTok and Instagram. I'm on both as Dudas Weirdo. Uh, if you're enjoying this weird little segment of reality, give the show a review on Apple Podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, hit the follow button, leave a comment below. Uh, don't forget to tell your friends. Help do some recruiting for our weird little cult in the making. Uh, word of mouth is really good for a small show like this, and it really doesn't take much because if you tell two friends, they tell two friends, and they tell two friends, and so on, and so on. We can spread the weird everywhere we go. Stay tuned for more weirdness next week. And until then, keep it weird. <laughs>